Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the weekly podcast that explores the nooks and crannies of living in a body. Sometimes it's the two of us having a casual conversation through the filter of that day's topic, and other times we have special guests who add their voices to the chat. We are yoga educators and body workers with decades of experience as practitioners and teachers. It is with reverence and joy that we choose to take these conversations off the mat and into the microphone. Our aim is to understand the human experience through the stories our bodies hold and the stories they tell. Since having a body is the one thing we all have in common, it seems like a good place to start. We are your hosts. I am Teresa Tobin Macy. And I'm Sherry Sadoff Hank. Join us on this journey of discovery as we sleuth our way to the connections of our individual tales to the collective experience of being alive. Welcome yoga teachers, yoga students, the yoga curious, and body workers. And if you're none of the above and love these conversations and practices, we are happy you're here. Yay! Today we're working on the A theme for camp. We did C, which was community, communication, and connection. And today the A is for alignment, awareness, and anecdotes. There are just so many different inroads here, different maps of alignment that we could include in this conversation. And I was really excited to have my view of alignment expanded to include so many different maps. If I'm thinking alignment, of course, we had the koshas in season one. And we started there with this theme of alignment. It kind of goes back to, if you haven't listened to last episode, please go back and do that. Sherry was talking about connecting the dots for a whole variety of different things. It started with, are you doing with what, what you went to school for? And then went through how we bring with us all of our experiences, all of our learning, all of the things that we've done in our life. And then maybe we're surprised at where we end up. And I guess that's a little bit of what alignment is, is we're specifically talking alignment, but we introduced it already in season one and season two in many different ways. And in some ways, alignment can a synonym for alignment could also be integrity. Are you living in alignment? Are you living in integrity? And, you know, we're talking to, to all of you, but we are yoga teachers and yoga students and body workers. And so through that lens, we look at alignment. It's not just your posture. It's not just ears over shoulders, over hips, over heels, or whatever, however you would do that. It's not just anatomical neutral, Tadasana, Shavasana. You know, we have all of these poses in yoga that allow us to express different shapes, different postures. And depending on what our particular stories are, you know, there, we always say there's no one size fits all. And that's true. There is no one size fits all, which and all that means is that no two asanas should look the same. No two postures, no two of the poses, yoga poses. And so when you look as a teacher at your class and you see, you know, are you teaching still from a lineage of cues where if someone's not taking the cue that you've given them in a way that it, it appears, are they out of alignment or are you out of alignment as the teacher 
expecting the student to do something that is not within her range or within her body's story. And that's not a bad thing. It's this feeds into the awareness pieces as teachers and students. We need to be aware of what we say, how we say it. Is it in alignment with our own, you know, thoughts, words, and actions? And then look at the student in the same way. Yeah, we talked about alignment, thoughts, body, speech, mind, and breath as, you know, where are we in our own personal integrity? Where are we in how we share? I'm a body worker first, yogi second. So, you know, I look at the body and it took me some time of being a body worker to move beyond the technique of massage, the technique of body work, and really begin to hear the body speak through palpation. I know you like that word. And my, <laughs> I also, I have to stop there. The reason I love that word is because I didn't know what it meant until I took a training with Karen Eisen, who is another wonderful yoga teacher in the Bucks County, Upper Bucks County area. And I did an anatomy training with her and she kept using the word palpation. I was like, what does that mean? I don't, I don't know what that means. And so as soon as I learned it, you know, you learn something new and it's like, ooh, that's, so I do. I still love that word. Yes. You want to define it? No. <laughs> I'll let you do that. Yeah, that's a touch. It, yes. That feeling of, you know, learning, accessing information through touch is my understanding. Yeah, absolutely. It's being able to touch with awareness. So here we are down in Teresa's land again, coming back. I love to yeah. <laughs> There's so many different ways that we can touch, both in extremely comforting, nurturing, and sometimes maybe there's touch that doesn't fit into a nurturing type of interaction between people, but that's another podcast. But palpation is touching and wanting to deepen your awareness of what you're feeling and what you notice. So I would look at it from touching the body. How does this part of the body, this muscle, this area compare and contrast to another, which feels healthy? Maybe I'll notice something that feels stuck or dry, but I also love nature. And I use palpation. You do? I use you. Do. Like I do. I do. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I just keep your thought. Maybe write a note if you want to come back to it. Because you had said something in a casual conversation that had nothing to do with this that I think comes up with this whole nature thing. Your love of nature, to me, implies a certain level of integrity in a way that is, is whole. Because we talked about, you mentioned, you know, we got, we evolved for a certain time. And then we began to devolve in certain ways. And that to me just simply meant that early on in our humanity, we were nature. It was clear that we were nature. We were not separated from the tree. We were a part of the same system and there was no question about it. And then I, I'm not, I'm going to futz a little bit here, but I think around the time of the agricultural revolution, <laughs> when we started separating and creating plots of land to grow things and our minds, our brains, I don't know, they were probably still growing. There's a whole question there. When did our brains, you know, stop evolving? But this idea that devolving meant separating from the, the intrinsic knowledge that we are nature. And so, Teresa, every time that you say that you love nature, to me, you are also saying, I am nature. And you are reminding me that I am also nature and that none of us are separated from the source of nature. 
And so thank you for that. You are welcome. You're welcome. I love sharing the things I love for with as many people as possible. From the palpation, I'll just touch on that really quickly. <laughs> but I <laughs> was that um, what I was thinking was just feeling the trees and the different bark, right? I'm feeling with awareness. How does this tree feel different than that tree? What are the different textures that are out there in nature? And then coming back to we are nature, you know, I am. I read Rewilding by Micah Mortali. I'm also taking an online course with him about, you know, nature loving and being outside that's offered through Kripalu. And that's where I, I, he gave me, and, and I'm sure I am quoting him, but not quoting him directly. These are thoughts that he shared in the class was that, yes, we are drawn to nature because it is, we are nature, but it is where we came from. We evolved or devolved from humans who, you know, went out and gathered our food and hunted and we just seamlessly fit in with the animals, the plants. We worked cohesively together and shared those resources. And there's a practice that he's offered, but has been offered to me in other ways, which is just sitting to find a sit spot out in nature and go there. And if you happen to be in a city, maybe that spot is next to a plant that you have in the house or just next to your window so that this, the sun can come in or you can see the clouds or the sky. You don't have to be out in the middle of the woods to enjoy the elements around us. and. So just sitting is to go to the same spot wherever you choose that it is and just be aware, to be mindful and notice, to blend in without feeling like you're creating a separation and sit and observe what goes on around you. Maybe how the clouds, you know, float on the air currents or the birds that you can hear their song as we're loving being outside. This morning I was just sitting. And in my practice, and just at, just right before the bell went for my 20 minutes of just sitting, a hummingbird came. And this hummingbird was, and I don't use this word often, was literally inches from my eyes. It was hovering directly in front of my face. And the only thought I had was, the hummingbird is observing me. Wow. So in terms of alignment, you were in alignment with nature in that moment. There was a sense of integrity, of the word that I was trying to find, unity, interdependence, but not just with all, you know, humans, but with all beings. You know, that this bird, you, I know that the first time we sat out in this gazebo and we heard all the birds and you said, they're being very chatty and they're probably thinking, who are those chatty, you know, <laughs> Kathy's over there. But to come back to alignment, I think that in order for us to truly be aligned, we have to remember that we are nature. Yes. So we're talking to yoga teachers. We're talking to yoga students. We're talking to the yoga curious. We're talking to body workers. We're talking to people who've had an experience on a mat, on a cushion, on a table, or in front of the mat, in front of the cushion, next to the table is what you said last one of time before. And so these conversations, you know, this part, this A in camp, this alignment and awareness and anecdotes, 
like the koshas, they are inextricably connected. So in order to be, to, to know your alignment, there's a certain bit of awareness that has to be employed. We have to be aware if our words, thoughts, and actions are out of line. If one is not, if I'm speaking to someone in an aggressive way and that is not who I am or want to be, and it's not in alignment with my heart or my thoughts, then I need to recalibrate in that moment and say, okay, to be in integrity, I need to take a breath and reapproach. So things like that, that's one way of looking at alignment, words, thoughts, and actions. And that helps in our class as we can take a moment before teaching, as we take a moment before entering a classroom to center, to take a minute, to take 30 seconds to breathe, to come into our center so that when we walk into a room of other individuals with their own alignment issues, with their own story stuff, with their own anecdotes and awarenesses, that we create a community, go back to last week, we create a community of people who are willing to interact from a place of integrity. And that requires effort and it requires awareness. I, I like that you brought that up. I think, you know, we talked about alignment and taking that time to center ourselves. And as teachers and yoga curious or body workers, being present, being in this moment, being focused is also a way of coming into alignment. And I think it was Sally Miller, who was one of my teachers. She always came to the front of the room when she entered for a class, sat on her mat and was quiet. And I asked her once, how come you just sit up there quietly without, you know, really addressing the class? And she said, the first 30 seconds on my mat is for me to center and be present so that I can offer my best self to the students who arrived here to take this class. And the interesting thing was, it was, uh, it grew. Her sitting there quietly began that people noticed and the talking just came to a quiet stillness where everybody joined in that moment of aligning themselves to be ready to embody this experience. Liz also does that at the Prancing Peacock, the owner of the beautiful studio, the Prancing Peacock in lovely Bucks County, which is 19 years old. I just saw her wearing a sweatshirt that said established 2003. It's crazy. But she used to, and still does sometimes, I guess, sit in front of the class and just be quiet. And no matter how crazy loud it is in the actual studio, the long she sits there, it doesn't take long, and everyone quiets down. And every time she says, works every time. <laughs> but I also had a teacher named Amy who would say, if you, because we're all human, we all go through our own shit. And so there may be days as a teacher, especially if you've had a trauma or you're experiencing grief or something has happened in your life that has taken you out of balance, not necessarily out of integrity, but off balance. She would say, sit in your car, sit outside before you even enter the room for about three minutes and just, or however long it takes to center yourself so that you can be available to your students in, in alignment, in integrity. And I thought that was a really beautiful thing because you know, typically, and especially if you're in New York, I know that I used to rush and rush and rush to get to class. No, I never taught in New York, but I was a student. We'd rush to get to class, get on the subway, get out and get to class. And like, <laughs> so to have that moment to really center, even as a student walking in, because our energies affect each other. 
And as a massage therapist, we have the very same type of centering that we teach in school and that I practice with each and every client that I see before I'll enter the room where they have gotten ready for their appointment, greet them at the door or enter their home because sometimes I'm there. I take a couple of breaths. I take some moment to recognize that this is a client-focused experience and that I can be completely centered and present. And whatever is going on in my thoughts and mind, I can leave it in the car. I can leave that outside the door. It'll be there waiting for me when I come back. And even as I sit down in my provider's seat, I always take 30 seconds before any technique, before I've done anything, to just experience the touch and the energy exchange between myself and the person that I'm working with. There's one thing I, I may or may not have said previously, but you cannot touch without being touched. Even as the provider, the massage therapist, or you know, maybe if you offer Reiki in your classes, it is impossible to touch someone without being touched. Therefore, because I'm a body worker, a massage therapist, I have an abundance of touch in my life. And I once said that to one of my clients. They, they were talking about, you know, how aligned they felt, how they felt so different in, from the beginning of a session to the end of the session. And they said, yeah, I know. And they said, what do you mean? And I was like, I feel completely different from the beginning of our session to the end of the session, because there's an alignment that happens within me as well. There's an alignment of our energies so that we're both operating from the same place. And there's an alignment of me processing in my, through my thoughts, through my vision, through all of my senses to help guide me through whatever that session is going to ultimately turn out to be. What you just did was exemplify through what you just said that alignment, awareness, and anecdotes cannot be separated. There's always a story. Everything has a story. In fact, here's my challenge to any listener out there. Email us anything that you think does not have a story or is not a story at anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com because I would be very curious. Every blade of grass has a story. Every cup has a story. Every, every, everything has a story. So if we know that, and we had someone, we had a discussion with someone who is a physical therapist. She's uh, also deals with astrology. And she said, she's never been in a healing relationship with someone from as a practitioner that didn't start with healing the story. So the story and the alignment, you know, Teresa, you had talked about which came first. I'm going to let you do that because this is really interesting. We all have stories. We all have alignment that goes in and out of integrity, depending on where we are, because we are all human. But the thing that is allows us to discern, the thing that allows us to explore is the awareness. It is the awareness that's right there in the middle that is required in order to parse out what our alignment, what is our story, and how, how are we whole. This is a holistic place that we are creating. So anytime it seems like we're fragmenting, it's going to be for a bigger purpose, for the purpose of seeing the whole. So as far as the alignment and the emotions, you know, the body holds our secrets. We know that things that we've experienced are somewhere in the body. And I'm saying experience. Sometimes when people talk about the body holding things, they talk about it in a negative. 
but it holds our excitement. It holds our joy. We know what it felt like to, if you have children, to hug your children or your best friend or your partner, whoever that might be. There's a feeling that is palpable. But also, it touches our Oh, my emotions. gosh. Palpable. Palpate. <laughs> Same route, man. I'm sorry you said it out on <laughs> So we're able to recall how that feels. So in body reading, which is something that I've learned and something that I've touched, it's a way of deepening our awareness by expanding our vision to look at a whole person. And... Honestly, I'll have to say when I first learned it, I learned it in a very physical way. And I'm like, oh, yes, I see. Your shoulder is higher. Your leg is rotated, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, you tilt your head to the left. Very like physically, posturally oriented. But then I began to notice that postures were communicating to me possible, and I don't want to fill in other people's stories, but emotional states. And I started to research that and do a lot of reading because the question was, what came first, the posture or the emotion? And if you just stop for a minute, so I'm going to give you another little suggestion is to stop and in your mind's eye, maybe think of somebody who's always happy and excited. And then notice in your thoughts, What's their posture look like? And then maybe the opposite. Think of somebody that you know or who is experiencing sadness. I'm not going to say that they're depressed or, you know, put a blanket, but I'll say experiencing a sad time in their life or experiencing sadness at this moment. And how does that posture look different? And then maybe... There is somebody who experiences sadness for an extended period of time. Does their posture stay in that what you're envisioning? And so it be, I became very curious. If, so I always picture people who are experiencing sadness as being a little bit forwardly flexed, maybe protecting their heart in some way by their shoulders coming in and rounding or maybe their eyes are downcast. And I'm wondering if there's a postural pattern that looks like that, maybe what came first? Did the pattern of this downcast look that happened from an injury or just sitting over your computer all day long add to an emotion? Or did an emotion add to the posture? I don't really have an answer, but it is something that we can contemplate in that we can control our posture. So can we change our emotional state by choosing a different alignment? Well, I will say this to that, this to that. When I was at NYU studying acting, we had a movement class. And one of the things we had to do was uh, be phys the physicality of different stages of life. So we talked about, you know, as a toddler, the center of gravity is at the top of your head and everything is really bouncy and kind of fall over a lot and you're doing whatever, but it's all top heavy, you know, sort of center of gravity. And that as a teenager, especially for young women, I guess, but there's, depending on how you're developing, there are two possibilities, either shoulders back, chest out, and really in a more confident here I am world, or a more, like you said, is it flex when your shoulders are forward? 
Yes. Is that okay. flexion? I always have an issue with that. I don't know which way I'm going. But so that forward, shoulders forward, rounding in, almost hiding your chest in a less confident way, but that the center of gravity is more in the chest. And then as we get old, our center of gravity, you know, moves down. And so as we had to embody an elder person, you know, there was a sense of being so close to the ground and moving a little slower. And when we did this, my best recollection and memory is funny because how much of the stories that I remember are remembered because I've told them and retold them. This is not one of those stories I've retold, I think, ever. But how much am I infusing my today's wisdom with what I knew then? But what I can remember as best as I can is that there was a change in mood and feeling when we changed our center of gravity, when we were embodying different character types, uh, and just according to age, no other backstory, just the age alone, there was a shift in energy. There was a shift in feeling. So add backstory to a character on that, add makeup and costume to that, add the lights and the production value and all of that. You become this, this person, this character, you know, not talking about a psychotic break that you actually become that person unless you are, you know, one of those uh, method actors, method actors. But that is to say that, you know, what is the possibility of asking your fascia to reform and deform, reform in a different way to encourage, to invite in, I'm going to use the word invite, invite in the energy that will be most optimally accepted and, and felt. I, I wonder about that when you talk about acting and the alignment of postures and assuming the category, the makeup, all how beautifully you described getting set. I was watching the end of This Is Us and they were talking to all the no, Is there a spoiler? Is there a spoiler no, here? No, okay. car- no spoiler. Okay. No spoilers. <laughs> Just in case you haven't finished yet. <laughs> they were talking with all of the characters and the, and I'm so bad with names. I apologize for the guy who plays the dad. Oh yeah. Well, he was talking and he said he was, he was talking so admirably about the character and you know being able to withdraw from being the character to be self and how he the character was such an admirable guy that he kind of adopted some of those characteristics Mm -hmm. and held on to them and i found that to be i hope i quoted you right if you're listening I hope you're listening. <laughs> Please be I, listening. I know you're not a yoga teacher or body worker, but you know. Maybe he's a student. Maybe you're a yogi practitioner. Yes. So if you're listening, I hope I said that right. Well, you brought in This Is Us. And just apropos of taking on all those different ages, the dad was one of the few that only was one age or at least within a, a, a reasonable age range. But the mom, she had to, Mandy Moore, is that her? She had to go from young ingenue to, you know, aging out i'm not going to go into but aging and up to the end there and i was just so impressed i mean they had other actors come in for the kids at different ages but she embodied go back to season two she embodied that character at every age and you could feel her trajectory i would say she was in complete alignment i would and her alignment fit in with the anecdote the story uh, the storyline that she was playing at each and every different age. Yeah. Yes, she was. Obvious. Yes, and as we're still talking about stories, you know, stories and awareness and alignment, like we, we use our buzzwords, yes, they're in there, but this is our, our framework. 
They are roadmaps to self, capital S, that self, that intrinsic piece of our self, so that we can examine who we were, how we were, how our behaviors were, our speech, all of that, thoughts, mind, and, and actions, thoughts, speech, and actions, through all of these stories and see what were the commonalities, what were the things that remained central. Now, I don't believe there's anything that is really unchanging about self, but there are things that remain at least residually. There is a sense, a sense of self. That's why we say a sense. It's not absolute self, although that's a conversation we could have. It's always interesting to me, the things that keep me up at night, like what is self, beginningless time. Stacey said something the other day that made me think, it's, oh my God, another fucking thing to keep me away <laughs> Well, since we are talking about alignment and anecdotes, we have so many different lenses that we look through being yogis, yoga teachers. That's <laughs> me. The most versatile piece of cloth ever is the bandana. For those of you who can't see, I'm, I'm blotting the sweat off my face. Yes, we are outside on this beautiful warm day, <laughs> loving nature. <laughs> But there are so many different lenses to look at alignment through. There's, you know, we talked at the beginning, body, mind, thoughts, spirit, emotions. We have uh, a few that we use as yoga teachers, as body workers. So I'm going to start with meridians as the roadmaps or the paths of pat patterns that I look at and how to build awareness around some of those patterns and the alignment that we have. I've studied Tom Myers, so shout out to Tom Myers and his anatomy trains. They're a model that I really relate to, that I love, that has different meridians within the body. So from a fascia or muscular skeletal perspective, a meridian is an interlinked series of connected tracks of muscles. It's more simply said, it's two muscles that cross the same joint and attach in the same place, making them act, making them integrate with one another and act cooperatively throughout a meridian. And when I look at the fascia meridians, I see patterns. I see alignments and I see alignments that appear to be out of alignment. And I'm going to say appear to be, because often when we look at them, they're snapshots of single moments or a single day. So yes, there's a pattern there and some of them are long held patterns, but others could just be, I didn't sleep so well last night. And so my pattern today is off. Ah. But these meridians all have a function. And when we start to, as body workers or yoga teachers, understand these pathways and maybe how the body wants to move. So maybe a little touch back to our last episode, our proprioception, where we're moving in space. We rely on those patterns as lenses that we can look at alignment through. Of course, at some time I'll go more specific into what all those pat, all those trains are, all those lines are, but really what we're looking at is Maps of ways you physical alignment. And when I someone's flying somewhere, someone's going somewhere from somewhere else. They're not crossing a bridge. They're flying over us in the ethers. Yes. They get to be me up there. <laughs> Sorry. I just wanted to take a moment to honor the plane and the sound that was so that I could let it pass. And it's a low one. 
But, you know, we have these different lenses or different alignment healing systems that we can look at. And I know that you have some that you love as well. I like that the meridians from the fascial anatomy, but. And you are brilliant at teaching it. And I'm looking forward to that episode when we get a little deeper, because several years ago, I did Teresa's yin training and it was brilliant and it used the fascial lines, but it also talked about the organ pairs and all of the stuff that sort of makes all of this work so much juicier. It's like, oh my gosh, there's another whole way of looking at this. You know, we're three-dimensional, but I think maybe we may be six-dimensional. I don't know. But when I think of alignment, yes, as a yoga teacher and as a yoga practitioner, I think of my physical body and I want to be in as much alignment as I can be for my body. I need the awareness to know and all of that. But I also feel very strongly that alignment is about being in line with your your thoughts, your speech, and your actions. And part of the yogics, one, one yogic model are the yamas and niyamas. They are the, obser- ob- the excuse me, the, ob- <laughs> I was say, the observations, the observances and ethical guidelines for living in integrity for, you know, they're sort of like they're five each. So they're kind of like the 10 commandments and they have kind of a similar uh, feel to them. But so the niyamas are the observances. They're the guidelines. And I'm just going to look down for a sec, just kind of keep I'm going to say the English and the Sanskrit, the Sanskrit and the English, just briefly to go through so you have a sense of what they are, if you don't already know. The observances and guidelines, niyamas, are saucha, cleanliness, santosha, contentment, tapas, self-discipline, svadhyaya, self-reflection, self-study. And then this one I have to look at, ishvara pranidhana, which is the surrender to a higher power. So whatever that means for you, whatever that connection to divine source is, that is for you to say it could be the tree outside your window. The yamas are the ethical guidelines. We have observances and ethical guidelines. Ahimsa, nonviolence. That may seem obvious, but oh my gosh, all the ways that we are violent to ourselves and the world we live in could be microscopic, but it's still something to look at. Satya, truthfulness. Yeah, that's also Vishuddha, which I wanted to talk about last episode, our communication center. That's a chakra, whole other system. Asteya, non-stealing. Non-stealing. That one we could dig deep on. um, Brahmacharya, which is the moderation of the senses, the right use of your energy. And Aparigraha, which is non-greed, non-accumulation, non-hoarding. And so these are the, the ethical guidelines and observances that uh, the yogic system offers us so that we have an anchor to activate awareness around. So this requires that we have awareness so that we can see, you know, like I mentioned last time, I'm a bit of a slob. I have a lot of work to do on Saucha. I really do. Santosha, contentment. Oh my gosh. You know, that is almost it's my pillow. It is, it is daily. I mean, I could go through each one, but you have a sense of what that is for yourself. And they don't have to be big, obvious things that we're not calling you an asshole. I'm not calling myself an asshole, though. Sometimes I am the asshole, especially behind the wheel, though I've gotten better. But this is to say that we all have opportunities to become aware, to observe what our actions are, how we're showing up in the world, in our bodies, in our spaces, in our neighborhoods, and how our particular energies impact other people's 
So we're walking around with an abundance of story, the activation of awareness and this feeling of wanting to be in alignment. And we are in community with every other person who either is actively working on those things or couldn't give a shit about any of them. Yeah. Lots of healing systems and different maps. I, I'm going to tie up the loose end of you talking about the in-training as well. And there's another definition for meridians, and that is uh, energetic transmission, energetic lines where energy flows through the body. And that is what you alluded to, where the fascial lines and the organ meridians coordinate with each other. Now, this is going to come from Tom Meyer's book for just a little bit. He's mapped out the meridians, the front line, the back line, the side lines, the lateral lines of the body, the spiral line, the arm lines, and the functional lines. And if you, if you happen to have his book, if you go all the way to the back, uh, a group of acupuncturists, one of them being Helen Langevin, there's our plane is back for us. Going that way this time. It, they're circling. Did you do something wrong? <laughs> so, I'll just take a little breath and enjoy the sounds of what surrounds us. Tap into that interoception, or is that extraception? Extraception. Extraception. Yeah. Stimuli coming from the outside. So, Helen Langevin is one. She's also a researcher. Uh, I apologize for the rest of the team whose names I do not remember. But what they did was they reviewed the fascial meridians in comparison to the organ meridians. And although they will say they don't line specifically, they have close pathways. And what I really like in the union of these two sets of maps is, for me, I translated that into what I do to the outside of my body affects the organs and the acupuncture or Chinese medicine meridians at the same time. So what I'm doing externally in my asana is having an effect on the internal organs of my body. For instance, I love banana asana. So I don't. <laughs> I don't. Oh, don't like banana asana. I like bananas, but not banana. But not banana asana. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what banana asana is, just imagine yourself laying flat on the ground in shavasana or just flat on the ground, flat in your bed, and then shaping your body like a banana, taking your feet all the way to the left side, taking your head and your arms all the way to the left side so that one body, one side of the body is closed and the other is open, concave and convex, just like a banana. Well, the side body is, or the lateral line, is coordinated with the gallbladder meridian, and that pairs with the liver meridian. So every time I do it, I'm thinking, huh, I am really facilitating the opening of the pathways for that system of the body, the gallbladder and the liver together, that just have a multitude of of cleansing, cleaning the body. So I find it to be very cleansing. And so, and what's in a word? What's in a row? The, you know, what's in a row? The rose made by any other name would spell as sweet. What's in a name? Not a word, a name. Because meridians, nadis, pathways in the body and in, in yoga, we talk about prana, opening up pathways for our life force energy to flow more freely. And so on the one hand, it's 
if you are massaging someone and you're both in alignment and you both have an experience and at the end you both feel different, it's similar in yoga, but by moving the body, we, even if we don't have an intellectual understanding of the meridians or the prana or the organs or what we're doing, we are opening these pathways. And that is why so often at the end of a yoga class, we just feel renewed. We feel better because we have created the causes and conditions in the body for our life force energy to flow more freely. It gives us a, a deeper sense of freedom in the body. And that's going to lead me into one more definition that I found for Meridian, which was one I didn't know. That's why I'm so excited to oh, share yeah, it. Yeah, I love this. I learned something new and I always, always learn, love learning something new. So in preparation, I always like to go back and look at different things. So I just went for the simple. What's the definition of Meridian? And there were a lot. But the one that stuck with me is this. And the question on Google, who you know knows everything, is... Google is the infamous they. Yes. <clears throat> and when we say they know, that's what they say. Google knows. Google. What is high meridian was the question. The highest point or state of consciousness and enlightenment achievable by the human. I had no idea that meridian had to do with enlightenment and this state of consciousness. So... That was my, my takeaway for today. Sweet. That's really cool. And the more that we can sit with these concepts and just thinking about, I mean, they seem so simple and they seem so in some ways obvious, but when we can really sit with our own stories and we can look at them, maybe even more, a little more objectively, taking a higher view of them as if, as if you're telling your story to someone else, someone else is telling you your story. How do you receive it? Do you receive it? Are you able to touch in, make palpable, palpate? Can you touch in to the places where maybe you moved out of your own alignment? Can you notice even from pictures, if you look at old pictures of memories that I know that I, there's one of my family when I'm a teenager, an older teen, and I'm standing away from the group. I was clearly not happy in that moment. I don't remember what preceded that. But I must have felt isolated because I physically removed myself from the group for a group photo. I don't even think I knew I was doing that. I think that was just, that was me taking myself out of the alignment in that moment. And it was, it was a huge, huge photo. But shoulders were a little bit forward. You know, my face was kind of puckered. And I'm really curious now what was going on then and why, why so, why so glum, chum? I have a photograph when I was about five or six. And I, the house that we lived in had two stairs, then a small landing, and then the stairs went to the second level. And there was a chair there. It looked more like a little stool. I don't know why it was there, but I was sitting in this place, and I have no idea why. And I've looked at this picture all this time thinking, was that chair always there? <laughs> Did I get put in the corner for sitting in that chair? Like, what's going on with me in this chair? And sitting in such a strange place on the landing of the staircase. So after a while, we're looking at family photos and we're sitting together and I have a very large family. I have five sisters and two brothers. And I said, I don't understand this picture about myself. Like, what's the story? Does anybody know the story behind this picture? And one of my sisters says, that's not you, it's me. 
<laughs> and I was like, this whole time I'm trying to figure out what's going on. So now we, neither one of us really know who the picture is on. <laughs> and that is a story. That is a story. Everything has a story. Oh my gosh. So do you want to talk a little bit about practices or homework or do you have anything? I have a little something. Uh, a little something. Yeah, why don't you go first and then I'll, uh, I'll follow you up. Okay, so this is more of a something to do later, but you'll want to have a piece of paper or a journal, something to write with, and it's to take, take a deliberate meditation seat. And all that is to say, from tailbone to crown, let your spine be long. So if you're sitting in a chair or on the floor, wherever you are, allow yourself to move in a way where you can feel we're not straightening the spine. The curves are still there, but there's a lengthening from tailbone to crown. And you can allow your eyes to close for this one if you feel it, or you can allow your gaze to just soften. And while you're sitting there, sit and slow yourself down, sitting in as much stillness and quiet as is possible. And just wait for a, your first memory to arrive. It doesn't have to be your very first memory ever, but what memory rises to the top first? And then take your pen or your pencil, and write it, no matter how insignificant, it could be that you remembered walking your dog when you were little, or getting the mail, or whatever it was, could be a very insignificant thing. But write it as if it is the greatest American novel. Doesn't have to be long, but it should have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Compelling characters, even if it's just you, could have be with siblings, could be with friends, biking around the neighborhood, whatever arises first. Use character development. What happened before that moment? Doesn't You don't have to write it exactly as you remember, exactly as it came up, but write the story. What is the story you will tell your grandchildren one day about that memory and make it interesting, embellish it, give it more adjectives than you think it deserves. Make it funny, make it poignant, make it sad. Whatever it is, it is, but make it as if it is the most interesting story you have to tell and then close the book and don't look at it for a while. You can do that as many times as you like, just so that, you know, we tend to judge our stories. We tend to think we are whatever we are. But if we can deliberately, like the actor, taking on the posture, putting on the makeup, putting on the costume, that you can embellish this truth. This is the thing I want to say about that. Because, you know, I always said I, I was a pretty good actor. I'm a shitty, shitty liar. People say, well, what's the difference? I was like, well, acting, you're finding the truth in the character. You're not lying. You're actually embodying that character physically, emotionally. You're getting the backstory and you are finding their truths and expressing their truths. Lying, it's not about that. So in the telling of the story of this memory, and you could do this with as many memories as you like, embellish, put on the makeup, put on the costume, take on the posture, but find the truth. What is the truth in that memory as you remember it? And remember, the possibility of you infusing that memory with where you are today. Well, the memory that comes up could have happened yesterday, so that's not going to be an issue. But if the memory is years ago, then consider who's remembering it. The kid who experienced it or the human who has had years of experience to filter through that, that story. I think it's an interesting exercise to do, and I'd be curious to hear what your experience is. I can't wait to do it. <laughs> a challenge to write a beautiful story. Yeah. 
You know, it reminds me that we have these stories that we tell ourselves in our head all the time. And every time I think, oh my gosh, I have to write a story, then I get like writer's block. And I'm like, what am I supposed to write? But then I'll walk away with a walk away from a piece of paper and put my pen down. And I find that I'm telling the story in my head anyway. So I could just write down my thoughts. And I think it was you who gave me the suggestion that was like, well, pick up your phone and record it verbally if you don't want to write it down and then transcribe. So ah, thank you for one more prompt. It's, it's funny, this came from many years ago. I wanted to write a one woman show. I just feel like I had a lot of really interesting things and maybe they're not interesting at all. Maybe that's where this exercise came from to make those interesting. But what I did was I just started free writing. I started just going back and writing headlines of things I wanted to go back and write the story about. And so all of a sudden I've got a list, a ton of characters. Oh my God, a fucking ton of characters, a ton of scenarios that where I learned things. And so this is where I think there's some value to them. There are lessons that I sort of grew from these experiences. And then I kind of put them in different folders and I haven't looked at it in a while. Mm. I'm going back and I'm going to start because they're all memories. They're all memories of experiences that I've had and curious now how I remember them. How do I remember experiencing them? Because I think I was much more of an asshole when I was younger, but I don't know. Maybe I wasn't. We're going to find out. No, I think I always had a kernel of the hippie love. That's always been a part of who I am. But I think I've refined the way I interact in the world through these practices and through the desire to be aware of, of self. And I guess that's kind of one of our missions is to take it off the mat, off the cushion, off the table. And the things that we practice to make them part of our lifestyle, that what we practice gets stronger. And we practice it on the mat, like going to class, we're going to school. But then we embody that knowledge, we embody those practices, and they be, can become our lifestyle. So for my practice today, it's an awareness practice of connection. And since we've been talking about connecting the dots, that's what I'm going to guide you through doing is connecting some dots. So wherever you are, you can do this with eyes open or eyes closed. If it's not the right time, you can hit pause and come back to it later. But just find your seat. If you happen to be walking with your earbuds, you can do that as well. But what I'm going to ask you to do is to start to deepen the awareness of noticing yourself, of becoming aware of how you feel. And we're going to start physically because it's tangible and we can notice that. So scanning through your body, I will guide you. What I'm going to ask you to do first is notice a place in your body that is capturing your attention. Maybe it's capturing your attention because it's completely at ease. But generally, in my experience, the things that capture our attention are maybe a discomfort or a place that you're holding tension. So let's look for that. When you find that space, that place, I want you to put a little dot there. And then I'm going to guide you through your body to just notice in any place that you notice that also has tension, 
we're going to make a connect the dots photograph, a picture. So notice all the muscles of your feet, muscles around your jaw, muscles around your eyes. Be aware of the expression that you have in your mouth. Allow your awareness to continue to descend. We're going to come down the body into the neck, the left side of the neck, the right side of the neck, the front of the neck, the throat area. Become aware of the left shoulder. Maybe that space on the left back shoulder, the space between the shoulder blades close to the spine. And while you're back there, maybe notice the space on the right side. So the space between the shoulder blades. And then the right shoulder blade. And the left shoulder blade. Putting a dot any place that you notice sensation. Notice the heart space, the front of the shoulders. Let your minds and your awareness just glide down your left arm all the way to the fingertips. And then back up on the opposite side of the arm in the pathway that you chose. Transfer the attention to the other arm. Same pathway. Down one side. Up the other. Take a brief pause here to notice all the places that might have dots on them. So you remember them. And then notice the left hip, the back of the left hip, the front of the left hip, the right hip, front and back. Feel the space down the spine from the back of the head all the way down adjacent to the spine, to the seat, through the low back. Come down, same pathways as the arm. We'll start with the left leg. Allow your awareness to go down the back of the left leg to the bottom of the foot and the toes. Any dots? Come up the front from the top of the toes, through the front of the left leg, across the knee and into the quadriceps. The attention comes to the right back of the leg. Descend all the way to the tip of the toe. Transition to the top dorsal part of the foot and up the front of the leg, across the knee, into the quadricep. And then look at your image. And then take the place farthest away from the very original first dot you created and bring ease to that space. And follow your connect the dots picture. Coming from the furthest distance all the way through, bringing ease to each and every dot along the And then when you come to the first spot, your original spot, notice your awareness of how it feels. And if you closed your eyes, this would be a great time to open them. 
and come back. So we notice our alignment with a deeper set of awareness. Just, I could float away right now. You know, when you said what catches your attention, you've also said in the past, what you see, what, what you see is not random. What catches your attention is not random. What memory comes up for you when you sit from before is not random. These are all opportunities to understand self. They're all under opportunities to be in alignment with the inner and outer worlds. And that is just what a gift this life. We are truly blessed. We really want to deepen all of these practices and in person and hear your stories. Of course, we would love for you to write them to us at anecdotalanatomy.gmail.com. <laughs> but also in person, because what better place to share stories than around campfire, right? It's summer, camp is going on. Why can't adults go to camp? So we have started camp. You know this. Today was A, and I know we spent a lot of time on alignment and awareness, but it was also anecdotes. Stories were a big part of this. And so what part of, as part of the tease for the second day of camp, is the anecdotes part. Because what is camp without telling stories around a campfire? And we will be providing vegan, the makings for vegan s'mores. Not You don't have to be vegan to come to camp, but I happen to be vegan, and I happen to love s'mores. So in order to please us all, we'll be bringing vegan marshmallows, vegan chocolate, and graham crackers. And I'll be finding some gluten-free graham crackers. Yes. To, so that we have options for that as well. Yep. And of course, it's camp. So you can bring anything you need. <laughs> <laughs> bring, a, bring a blanket, a frisbee. No, we're going to have a lot of fun. It's going to be so much fun. And it's such a, an easy commitment. Two hours on a Sunday, four weeks in a row in the summer. And it's going to, you're going to be local. So it's going to be easy. It's like a staycation. Yeah. Right. It's like a staycation with the, you know, awareness built right <laughs> in. So come to camp. We really can't wait to see you there. And just, you know, I've been a camp counselor before. It is one of my favorite jobs I've ever had. It's in the one woman show, which I still may do. <laughs> Until next time. See you around the campfire. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. If you like what you heard, please click the like and follow buttons and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen. These ratings help our grassroots podcast to become more visible to more people so we can include more stories. Written reviews are like stars on steroids. If you are so moved, please write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We are just getting started. So if there's something you'd like us to cover, please email us at anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. Tell us your stories. We'd like to thank our editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos. <laughs>